I'm here with Zishan, and Zishan is a really fascinating person. I'm glad I finally have a chance to bring him on Between Two Muslims. He's got a multi-ethnic background. He's British, Pakistani, and he's American. So, Zishan, your mom is British, your dad is Pakistani, and you were born here, and you're fully American. So what was it, what was it like growing up in such a complex background? I mean, it was really interesting. You know, I mean, my dad is a Muslim. I, I wouldn't call him very... He's, he's a practicing Muslim, but I wouldn't call him very um, traditional or very active Muslim. My mom is grew up in an Anglican Christian household, um, but she, she's she's more of an agnostic. She's more agnostic than she really is um, religious. Um, and it was really interesting, you know, growing up in a secular and Muslim household. I really grew up as a Muslim, um, and up until about two years ago. How did you grow up as a Muslim? Well, I mean, I with my dad, we used to go. To, we used to go to the mosque, and we participated in like Eid and Ramadan and prayers and things like that. And I was really generally interested in it, and um, that's really how I grew up with it. And uh, it was very interesting, yeah. What about the cultural sort of differences between, you know, being having a, a British mother and a Pakistani father? What was sort of, you know, people always say, oh, the differences is religious, but I also feel like also being from a dual background and having sort of seen your household as well, there's, there's a difference in, in the cultures as well. So how could you describe that? Um, you know, to be honest, uh, my dad and my mom were very similar people. You know, they really work hard and they really believe in, um, you know, they really believe in themselves and they believe in just generally their lives and they're not really, they're not extremely political and religious. You know, my dad is a very, tra you know, my dad is a very traditional, like, writer. Like, he's, like, he, he works hard and he works, he, he's, 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 I guess what I'm trying to get at is that um, there culturally isn't really a huge difference. You know, my dad is a Muslim. Um, and he is a pra he practices Islam, but he's not really disconnected or, or as I say, should I say, culturally different than you and I or mm -hmm. anyone else. He's he's really more American than he is Muslim, I guess. He's just adopted the culture into himself, um, and he's been here for thirty years. So, I think the most fascinating thing about your background is that recently in the last year you came out as an ex-Muslim, and I'll disclose a little thing to the audience here is that Ziggy. I think one of the most fascinating things about your background is that recently in the last year you came out as an ex-Muslim. Yes. And this is really fascinating because Zishan actually is my cousin. And so I've known him my, you know, his entire life and I got to sort of see what that was like and his experience in coming out as an ex-Muslim is was or is very very different than over a decade ago when I came out as a reformer questioning the faith. So whereas I dealt with immense backlash from the family, uh, it was fascinating for me to see what Zishan went through and how he handled it differently. And actually, he handled it a lot better than I did. Uh, he handled being an ex-Muslim better than I handled being a sort of provocative Muslim. So Zishan, tell me a little bit about that. What was it like you know, coming out as an ex-Muslim, and, and what led to that decision, and just tell me about your experience there. Well, about, I, I want to say, I want to say, actually a year ago, yeah, I, I earlier said two, two years ago, but I, I actually was about a year ago. Um, I go to a, I go to a Catholic high school, and, you know, I see, I, weirdly, oddly, I know, um, but my, all my friends are, most of my friends are Catholics, and I see, I really saw that they were really interested in their faith, and they were really, um, 
they were just a part of really communal, um, interesting community. I really wanted to be in touch with my community as a Muslim. So I started reading a lot of, um, I really started reading a lot about Islam. I really wanted to become more intelligent um, in that field, and I wanted to like know more about my faith and the Quran. So I started reading a bit of the Quran. And, you know, to be honest, um, I just was not really satisfied with what I saw. I mean, I'm a truly, like, I truly actually am one of those, like, people um, who I, I really care, like, a lot about, like, thinking about religion and, like, ir like me, my being irreligious. Like, I think that that's a very interesting thing to me. So I was really into it, into looking into Islam, or rather looking into religion in general and finding out what I agree with most. So I did a lot of research and I found, I, I just found a lot of, things in the Quran that I didn't really resonate or agree with. Um, I think generally, to me, I just did not really, Islam just didn't really resonate to me, and I wasn't really um, a, f a big I was a fan of it. Um, so I, 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 I really made the decision for myself that I didn't really want to be a Muslim, and I looked at Christianity, um, to which I didn't really find very good answers for, to the questions I had of, real of reality and be a beginning and science and real and truth. Um, so then I started re um, getting into a lot of atheist media, you know, I started, read, I read a bit of The God Delusion, which was really interesting by Richard Dawkins. I started watching a lot of Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, a lot of lectures, questionings, debates, a lot of Hitchens. And from then on, I really, I was really, I, I wouldn't really call myself an atheist. I don't think really you can, I, I don't really think anyone can definitively say they're an atheist because you don't really know, but I would say that I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm agnostic. I'm an agnostic person who leans towards the atheistic argument because I think it makes more sense. Um, but that's really when I started, like, saying, like, okay, like, I really want to be this kind of person. I really want to be irreligious. Um, that was about a year ago. Uh, I told my mom that I was going to be an atheist. My mom didn't really mind my decision because she's agnostic and she doesn't really, she kind of agrees with a lot of stuff with me, with I, that I believe in. So that was, um, that was cool, but then... Uh, about a month after I made that decision for myself, I told I told my dad. You know, I said I sat my dad down, um, and you know, I told him that I kind of wanted to be. I didn't really want to be a Muslim. Uh, that I wanted to be an atheist, and I and um, I think predictably it was a bit of a difficult conversation to have um, to that with your parents that you're going to leave the religion, uh, which I mean, assumingly is a big part of your relationship with that parent, your religion. Um, and you know, at first I was, I really didn't handle it very well, to be honest. I, I was very, um, interested in what I, in what I newly, in my newly held beliefs. So I argued a lot with any, honestly, anyone. I was, I was that, I was that kid, honestly. I was that really annoying, pretentious kid who would just argue <laughs> with anyone. Um, and my dad was the first of which, and you know, I'd argue with him about anything in the world going on. Um, but here's I, the thing, like, the thing that I noticed with you is when you argue it comes from a place of immense curiosity. Absolutely. And you know you have a debate background, so it comes from a place of intellectualism as well. It's not this emotional, hysterical reaction. And I think that really throws a lot of people off because the family and the culture and sort of growing up in this background, it's very emotional. Absolutely. Yeah. So to be sort of calm and reasoned and yet very persistent in your questions, it, it definitely it's jarring for a lot of people. So how did you, how did you deal with that when you, know, when you see the sort of blockades where people can't have the same level of dialogue that you're capable of having? 
I mean, I'm, I'm generally, I'm really a very passionate person, you know, I really, I really started becoming very political and religious, or rather religious, about two years ago, and I started, you know, I went, like, I started doing debate, just because I'm, I just like arguing with people, I don't know, that's just, <laughs> I don't know, this is my personality, but I just like in arguing with people, and I just like talking with people, really, and um, I'm very passionate about what I believe in, and, like, I can talk to anybody or about anything, and it'd be very interesting, you know. I do think that a lot of people just do not, I just generally do not know how to have conversations, just how to be, to put, no, I don't want to say put their emotions aside because that's important, but to simply be grounded. And I find it, I, I don't want to say easy, but I find it, I find it relatively natural to just be passionate yet grounded. And I think that that's um, something a lot of people should strive for, is to try to maybe calm their emotions and just be grounded in what they're talking about. I think you bring that. So I mentioned that you and I are related, right? I think yeah. I mentioned that earlier, that we're, we're cousins. And so when I went through my experience as a reformer, early on before reformer was even a, a catchphrase or a buzzword, I dealt with the most volatile emotions from people who just didn't understand how to have these conversations. And, and at that point, I didn't even know how to navigate the conversation as well as you're able to navigate it. So what I thought was most really remarkable to see in observing and getting to have the privilege of ex observing your experience was that you were able to sit down and have a conversation with, I would say, arguably two of the most volatile personalities in our family. Right. You know who they are, yeah. we won't name names. Yeah. But you were able to sit there and have a very calm and reasoned, what was it, two-hour conversation <laughs> Something like that, that I got to be a fly on the wall for yeah. with two of the most volatile personalities that <clears throat> vehemently challenged me when I uh, came out as a reformer, and yet they were able to listen to you, engage you. No one lost their temper, and I feel like that is so remarkable that, A, it shows the progress that we've made in having these dialogues is that Absolutely. these people who were normally so opposed to having these conversations are able to sit there and not only not only be able to engage you but to be able to engage someone like you who has basically uh, left the faith which we know normally means that you know it's it's a death sentence but it wasn't like that it was just right. two people sitting there and listening to you and you were able to navigate that and you've got they've got what they're maybe three times their age, four times their age, I don't know exactly yeah. how old they are, but that is remarkable. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think part of it was <clears throat> just my being young, and um, a lot of it was about, you know, I'm just a very calm person to talk to, and I think it was a very calm conversation. I'm not really antagonistic. I don't really, I don't really, I'm not really interested in insulting people because I think that's just, it just does nothing. And, you know, especially with the, when you're talking to people who are as traditional as, you know, our family and who we're talking to. Um, I think the most important part is respect, and I have a lot of respect for everybody. I, I, you know, I do disagree with them on a religious basis, but I think that generally the most important thing when you're talking to anybody is maintenance of respect, and that's so lacking. You know, I mean, it's so important to be respectful, and I think to you don't have to respect an idea. An idea doesn't have to be respected, and I, I definitely don't. I definitely don't respect the ideology of Islam, and I definitely don't respect the ideology of religion. I think that's very clear. I respect people, and I give people respect because that is just a human and necessary thing to do, to have a good, um, useful conversation rather than one of yelling and insulting and uselessness. That's just useless to me. I think the 
the keyword here is respect, and we don't really see that. Yes, so sir. politically, you know, you told me you were moderate conservative. Yes. Uh, you're not a Trump supporter. Definitely not. And you and I have a lot of our differences. You know, Absolutely. I'm I'm call myself a person of faith. Uh, I'm pretty conservative. I'm a Trump supporter. And you, on a lot of levels, are the opposite. But we're able to have that dialogue because of that respect. And we're Absolutely. able to, you know, still still be as close as we are. And that word respect is something I feel like is really lacking right now from the national dialogue. Especially when we see what happened to Milo. Definitely. And with the uh, recent Berkeley riots that were actually against his freedom of speech. So tell me a little bit about that. How you, how you saw that event unfold and what you thought about that. Well, I mean, the Berkeley incident really caught my attention because I was actually supposed to be going to Berkeley uh, a couple weeks, actually next week, um, but um, I was supposed to be doing that, and uh, I was really interested in the riots because, well, the riots and, you know, but um, I, I followed Milo quite close, closely, um, and it's, uh, my opinion of the riots, or obviously I think the riots are ridiculous because you, <laughs> you're, you're literally trying to take away someone's right to speak and he had right to be there and I, that's, I mean, that's what it is. And at the end of the day, it's at the core, it's a lack of respect for the opposition and that's how it's been for ages. I mean, people just not caring or respecting about anyone else. I mean, you don't have to care or respect anyone else's beliefs. I don't. But y you should show the same respect to people, to people. And I think Milo, um, the respect that was shown to Milo was just appalling. You know, I mean, I'm not someone to agree with Milo. Like, I think that Milo Yiannopoulos is... <clears throat> I mean, to be honest, I think that he's, um, I think that he just is someone who craves and needs attention. I mean, he, I mean, blatantly, that's what he is and what he wants to be. Um, with it, what he says and how outrageous he is, um, the clothes he wears, he just simply wants attention. Especially when he talks about anti-political correctness, because I'm someone who's very fond of the principles of anti-political correctness. Like, I'm very anti-politically correct, but I think that when people, people misjudge what that means, you know. I mean, a couple months ago when Milo got banned on Twitter, I remember it was something about he had a fight, he had an argument with Leslie Jones, and he called her, like, fat and ugly. And it's just, like, that is not being... Like, that, for example, like, is just so, like, useless. Like, you do no merit to... Like, you, like there's no merit in calling someone, like, fat and ugly. That's not the point of being anti-politically correct. The point of being anti-politically correct is to tell, to tell the truth, not be an asshole. That's where I think... I just think he's... I just think blatantly... Milo's just not, he's just a jerk, you know, he just, he just says outrageous things just to say them, and to get attention, and to get media, I don't want to say support, but yeah, attention. Um, yeah. But what does it say for, for Berkeley, you know, an academic institution, and top academic institution, to violate someone's right to free speech, and, and sort of what you see with the liberal, and we haven't actually had a chance to talk about this privately, so I'm really curious about your thoughts. Sort of what we see to the the national hysteria to a Trump win, for example. We see more, you know, we thought we would see more outrage from right-wing groups, but we're seeing more outrage from liberals. We saw it with the Women's March. Um, curious to hear your thoughts about that. And we just see the sort of hysteria against anyone that has alternative views. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't really blame the Ber Berkeley... Um campus or administration, I mean, like, at the end of the day, when you have people, not only, not only that were just Berkeley students, but people from the outs, from people, like, outside people, like, who are not students or, like, not part of the member of the camp, um, staff or anything, <clears throat> joining these riots, and I think that should be made very clear, like, not, like, 
a lot of these protesters were not Berkeley students. They were outside people coming in and protesting. Um, I don't really blame the administration. I mean, at the end of the day, they're riots, and you can't, like, <clears throat> you can't really, I mean, the administration doesn't really have a hand in it when you have, like, hundreds of people, like, rioting and, like, committing arson. I mean, you can't really do anything about that. I do think it speaks volume to the left and um, talking about the mainstream left, because, I mean, if you look at, you know, a lot of people like to say, like, the right is so radical, and that there's, like, with the alt-right, which is very is very radical and it has a lot of radical leaders and members such as like Richard Spencer, if you want to throw that name out there. But the right, the left, I mean the radical left, or if you want to call it the alt-left or whatever, has become so mainstream. I mean these riots, these protests, these absolutely childish displays of um, belief and rhetoric, it's just, it's just, it just goes to show how di not only divided, but how disrespectful we are to each other. I mean, like, it's so funny how, like, we all, like, there's so much, like, division and hatred where we don't even realize, like, we're all Americans. And I think these riots are, I mean, I think that in the, in the, in the, these riots are ridiculous. Um, what does that mean to you, that we're all Americans? I mean, it, it just means, like, it means that we're all, we all are, we, I mean, I know it's cliche to say this, but I mean, we all are the same, we all want the same thing. Do we're we, all on the same Do you think? Do you boat. think we all want the same thing right now? And I think we all want the same thing, but through different methods. I mean, like, for example, like, everybody wants health care. Democrats think that, Democrats and the people on the left think that it should be provided through universal, like, through universal health care. Republicans and the people on the right think that it should be provided privately and through private, like, insurance, like, companies and things like that. I mean, they, at the end of the day, we all want the same things, but the argument is how to get them. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but, and the fact that that argument has breeded, not just the argument about healthcare, but the ar arguments in general have so much hatred between the two groups and just generally Americans, it's just, it's incredibly disheartening, you know, and the, at the end of the day, it comes down to what, it, like, a lack of respect, you know, I mean, these people not having respect for, I mean, referring, in reference to the riots, these people not having respect for Milo and what he believes in, however outrageous or ridiculous it is, or the alt-right, you know, it's just there's 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 a lot of um, troubling displays of intolerance in the media, and I think especially you see on the left nowadays. How do you think we move forward from <coughs> that? How would how do you think we move forward from that, or how do we bridge that divide? Um, honestly, I mean, you with this election, with uh, a lot of things moving forward. Uh, I, I don't know, honestly. I mean, I, I, I honest to God, I, honest to God, um, honestly, I, um, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't know how to answer that question, you know, I mean, I, if I was, if someone was to tell me, like, oh, I'm, like, you know, I'm, like, going to a riot, or, oh, I'm going mm -hmm. to, like, a protest, like, I'd tell them, like, well, what does that actually solve, you know, what are mm -hmm. you, like, what are you protesting, like, the Women's March, the Women's March to me was just, I don't know, just a bastion of third wave feminism, and just annoying, and annoyance, I mean, I don't care if you want to go ahead and do what you want to do. I'm not going to judge you, but... Well, actually, I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to judge you. It's just I'm not going to stop you. But, um, I, whatever. About the Women's March. <coughs> um, but, generally... Pause it for a second. Second. I mean, I think that I would tell that person... That which person? 
I, I, okay, so if I, if I, if I, if someone came up to me and, you know, my, one of my friends or, um, would to say to me, like, oh, I'm going to this, like, rally or I'm going to this, like, riot or whatever, something stupid like that, you know, I would say, like, why? Like, what, what is the point of rioting and protesting? I mean, obviously there is one, but, I mean, in general, there, I would just tell people that you have, you should just be respectful and you should really let the other person talk and have their opposition. You should, like, learn how to argue correctly because a lot of people just don't know how to argue i mean a lot of people just don't know how to talk to people in general i mean like people in the media people who like are like on tv especially like in like fox or like hosts i want to add something to that so so last year i did an interview or a profile of uh, marcus dwayne robbins robert robertson sorry marcus dwayne robertson who was acquitted of um terrorism charges and he goes by the name of abu tauba I don't know if you read that profile, but it was, it was a fascinating profile, and it was very provocative on no matter what side of the argument you were on. And we recently had a chat, he and I, about sort of you know Muslims in America post-Trump and what that means. And I was able to have this immensely calm and rational conversation with someone who is seen as a terrorist and who is arguably radical in his views because he feels like there's only one way to move forward. Um, politically or culturally or socially. So this is someone who, hands down, according to my definition of radical, is radical. But we were able to be very calm and, and respectful. And two days later, I had the Bridge Institute, which is an Islamist organization under the guise of scholarship and intellectualism. And I had Nathan Lean. I don't know if you know who Nathan Lean is. Uh, he, he basically trolled me on Twitter, and it was just impossible to have a dialogue with someone like that. You can't, it just it doesn't happen because right. these people don't know how to dialogue. And I found it fascinating that I could have a really calm and respectful and productive conversation with an acquitted quote unquote terrorist and, and definitely someone who's a radical Muslim. I couldn't have it with someone who's, you know, quote unquote an intellectual in academia right now. And I think that is really reflective of where we are right now is that you, people don't know how to dialogue. You know, there's things that people say to me uh, in text messages or <coughs> on social media, which I don't think they would ever have the guts to say to me in person. You know, mm -hmm. there's a way to to treat someone and there's a way to, to host a conversation. And when we sort of throw in the factor of, you know, everyone feels like they have a say. You know, everyone feels like they're a writer and they throw their slush thoughts that are unformed and, and feeble at best as an op-ed and, and it runs and it's given this legitimacy, everyone feels like they have a platform, everyone feels like their idea is equal to anybody else's idea or their, uh, the merit of their argument is worth someone else's argument and it's not. I mean, how do, you, how do you see us getting past that, getting past this inability to sort of filter out uh, the value of a conversation? I mean, you're in debate, so you know you know, a nonsense argument from an argument that has some sort of structure and, and a premise that, that supports a conclusion. How do we fix this larger culture where everyone thinks their opinion is valid? Everyone thinks their opinion is based on some sort of foundation. How do you, how do you deal with that? Well, I mean, generally it comes down to, <clears throat> I mean, in debate, like, whenever we do, like, practice rounds or whatever, when we like make right right arguments, we um, the most important thing about a debate is weighing your impacts, or at least the type of debate that I do. And um, 
I think if people learnt how to argue and people learnt how to look and analyze an argument and look and analyze a point, I think that'd be very helpful. <clears throat> but um, I think generally the problem the problem with today's society and places like Twitter, which is just a cesspool of people just trolling or just screaming what they believe in or just calling people <laughs> racist or whatever. I don't know. But um, the problem with that, the problem with people is just they don't know how to have a rational, good conversation. And what you brought up with how you had a rational, good, calm conversation with an acquitted terrorist or non-terrorist, or I don't, I don't really know. But um, and that's interesting, you know, I mean, Gen I mean, you don't you don't need to be like a rational, per I mean, a rational thinking person to have a rational conversation, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's that's just very interesting. But I mean, people just need to learn how to act, like how to be human, be a person, and to just give respect to someone. You don't have to respect their beliefs. I mean, I think I think I should make it very clear. Like, I really do not respect religious beliefs. Like I, I I truly do not, but I respect people, and therefore I give someone who I'm arguing to time to or time to give what they want to tell me, and I hope in return they give me the same thing. Look, there's a difference between being passionate and emotional. If you're passionate about something, you care enough about it, you will try to learn as much as you can about it. If you're too emotional about something, you will just just explode what you believe in everywhere and just make everyone try to believe what you believe in. I don't care for that. I care for learning and explaining what I believe in and hopefully learning from what the other person is trying to tell me and maybe vice versa. Um, I think if more people had that mindset, then we wouldn't have such a cesspool of a society we do today. I love that. I wanted to ask you another question. This is um, probably really important because there's so many people who are in your shoes, there's the silent majority of Muslim free thinkers, and there's the silent majority of people who don't feel like they belong in Islam. But obviously, it's not as easy to just leave it. There's still cultural associations. You know, you can't just leave your family behind. There's a lot of ties there, and you've dealt with it. You've left it successfully. And this isn't this isn't me advocating for people leaving. This is me advocating for helping people navigate their choice. So, if you could sort of just Give people out there who are who are in the shoes that you were in, who are still living, you know, with family, who are still maybe too young to be financially independent, but who have made up their mind uh, that they that they don't want to be part of this faith anymore, and okay. that is their right. I completely support their decision and their right, hundred percent. Like I support your decision, one hundred percent. What tips would you give them? I think that you should be if you if you want to leave or if you want to like change how you think about a religion. I think you should be very careful. I, I think it's very clear how in religious families, religion is very, very powerful thing. And you should definitely evaluate who you are around and the people you are with and your family. Because, I mean, at least I can say for myself, when I told my dad I was a, that I, I was in, I, I wanted to leave Islam, you know, it, 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 honestly, like at first it was not a very good, it was not a very good thing to our relationship. You know, I mean, we just kind of, didn't really talk to each other, and then we just kind of exploded and had these giant arguments. Generally, I just, I think that it depends on who you are, and I think it depends on who you're around, right? So if you're the kind of person who, if you can, if you're a calm and genuine person who truly cares about something like this, and you can have a calm conversation, or you can have, 
a very yeah very grounded conversation i think that you know that, that it, it, it should be fine you know um <clears throat> being like coming kind of coming out and being more open about your mm-hmm. atheism agnosticism or what do you want to wherever you want to leave and go to second of all i think that you should definitely evaluate who you're around uh, my mom is a, a my mom is agnostic my dad is muslim um and I, I, I don't, I still think today, like, I think, I don't think it was very smart to open up about it. Uh, I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but <clears throat> I just, um, I definitely would have done it better for myself, but, um. You also had the path paid for you through what I went through. Yeah, definitely. Like, over a decade like, ago. Definitely, but, like, um, yeah, so I would definitely evaluate that if you're safe, if you're going to be financially, it's not selfish to think about your financial situation, like, it's definitely scary to think about, like, if, like, your parent, if your parents don't want to support you because of who you are, like that, that's a definite reality that could be true. So I think that's really, really important, and that's something that I try to stress. And I haven't publicly come out with this, but I, I probably should at some point. Is just what you're going to go through. So you're really lucky because your dad is so, you know, he's so open-minded, and even though you know your your atheism triggered that nerve, and and you and I love how you said that it change your relationship because your relationship was about going to Jummah uh, prayers on Fridays and it was yeah, about doing things annually like Eid and it was just something that he could rely on that relationship with you that he mm-hmm. had with you in a way that he didn't have with other members of the family and mm-hmm. that was sort of like the bond that you guys had but when you came out with it it's still <coughs> there's still some sort of knee-jerk reactions but end of the day your dad is really respectful and he's Absolutely. very rational and he's he's exceptional in that way mm-hmm. but uh, for other people, you know, an example for like what I went through is even though I didn't leave the faith, I had a much harder time in questioning the faith when when I first started questioning the faith years ago. And it devastated me professionally. It devastated me financially. It devastated me emotionally. It, it really, it basically threw the worst curveball I've ever dealt with in my life. And it dwarfed my progress in so many ways, and it dwarfed my ability to um, to be on sort of the the track that you should be on. So for seven years, I dealt with this immense backlash, and it's one of the reasons why I tell people is do not leave your do not compromise your security, right? And definitely. and learn how to, like you said, you know, you you studied this a lot. You really evaluated your opinion. You you learn how to be calm about it which I don't think I was when I first started questioning right. things for myself. I was still very volatile and very emotional about it. So I would say definitely question, you know, uh, your financial capability of being independent mm-hmm. at that point and how it's going to affect you because you don't want that to affect you. It's going to ruin your entire life. Um, it took me years to get back on track, years, and it shouldn't have. No, I mean, definitely. I mean, the, the biggest thing is, is definitely, like, financially, are you safe if, you know, you leave, you know, if you... and. A lot of family, like a lot of people, um, might and your family members might not support you after that, and might just really see this as something truly terrible, which is a little ridiculous. And then honest. your support system. If you're close yeah. to your family, like in our culture, we're always really, really close to your family, even if you're financially stable and you're financially independent. Because at that point, I just left law school and I had nothing else really lined up, so I really floundered for a really long time. But on top of it, the way we're raised as Pakistani children as Muslim children is that we have really close ties to our family and when those are compromised you know what's your support system you know where do you go to and who's going to understand that so I think that's another factor and and I think that really matters in in the decision that you make definitely you know I mean to be honest 
if I if someone if anybody is listening who's you know questioning their faith or who wants to leave their faith or is kind of struggling with you know their environment, I mean, uh, I think it's really important to be open with yourself. But I th- also think equally it is important to be financially and um, personally stable. You know, I mean, I, I to be honest, I didn't really at first want to tell my parents about it. Uh, I was kind of just like, you know, occasionally like we'd go for Friday prayers and pray, and you know, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I kind of just felt the compulsion to tell my parents about it, especially my dad. Um, I would tell you that you probably should wait till you're at least 18 or you're at least financially and personally stable enough to... Agreed. 100% agreed. Yeah, to to support yourself. Um, I would tell you to stay in a the proverbial closet for a little longer, um, until you come out to tell your parents because my dad is a rational person I mean, just t- for example just taking like people who are like older mm-hmm. um, you know they're definitely like rational people but you know the religion is very traditional and very um, integral part of the family and mm-hmm. being a part of a religious family so I, I would and you're not actually your family isn't actually religious it's, not, that's... not my, my, my immediate family is not really religious no no but the extended family is <coughs> pretty loyal to that brand yes yeah, yeah. The other thing that you mentioned, which I thought is really, I think is really fascinating, is you you cautioned people to be aware of who they're around. Definitely. Tell me more about that. Well, I mean, I think that what I mean by people who you're around is, you know, if you're if you're not just living in the states, you know, if you're living in maybe another country, such as you know, maybe I don't know, Pakistan, or uh, maybe another Middle Eastern country, Iran, or whatever, and if you're if you're kind of in conflict with that. I think it, you you should make it very clear who you are around. You should make it very clear, as, as I said, your family. Because these are very dangerous situations. As I said, people are very emotional about things, and religion is especially number one. Especially right about, now. Yeah, about what people are very emotional and <coughs> um, invested into. It's a very deep part of people's lives. And um, that's, that is why I think, number one, you should be careful with who you are around and your family, um, what country you're living in, are you safe? Uh, it's a very dangerous, uh, people like to maybe gawk at like, oh, like what's difficult about being an atheist? Like it's, it's, it's actually quite difficult, you know? How is it difficult? It's difficult because you don't know, it's difficult because the majority of people are religious and you usually grew up, you, you usually grew up in a religious family and breaking away from that is difficult because you know, you might lose your support from your family. Or if you're living in a dangerous part of the world, you might be targeted by some a malicious group of people. I mean, you never know. But that's... But I, I, <coughs> I want to add that it's also dangerous here, right now. Like, you don't have to be living in the Middle East to, to be aware of who you're around. Oh, it, definitely. You yeah. know, you could be living in the States, and <coughs> you, there could be one member of your family who's just not having it. Or, you know, and as we see, um, people, and and as I saw for myself, because the minute my extended family on my Pakistani side, and I think it's really, I think it's really interesting that my Afghan side is incredibly supportive of my reform work, but the Pakistani side is a lot more critical and a lot more judgmental. And I've seen the more of the backlash with them. And I found it fascinating that I had an uncle who's who I haven't seen for, gosh, over 10 years, and I've never, ever been close to, but he felt like he had the right and the duty as my guardian, which is hilarious, 
to stop me, to do whatever it took to stop me. And I'm fortunate that he is not even in the same country as I am. And he's one of the reasons why I would never go back to Pakistan because I don't know what, that, what else that means to him. Mm -hmm. What other right does he have? Because when we see these honor <clears throat> killings and we see the right to sort of stop someone, it, it comes from this really simple belief that you have the right and the duty you know, to, to um, control someone. And I think that's a really important word is control. So yeah, I think when you talk about be aware of who's around you, you know, it comes down to that. And the thing that I dealt with as when I started getting into uh, theology, because even though I'm still, I'm actually, my faith is a lot stronger now than it ever was before, because I went through the same system that you went through, where I really questioned everything. I studied everything. I did comparative uh, studies in different theological belief systems. And while you became an ex-Muslim, and I completely support that, I actually had my faith go in a different direction. Like I became more devout in my faith right. and, I, and I became more grounded in it. But what that meant for a lot of people is, you know, it, it triggered that nerve with them. It triggered a sort of fear of not being able to know who I am or control who I am because it's one of the reasons I left law school. Uh, one of the reasons I left law school is because I was really passionate about digging deep into theology and mm my interest became more centered on that. And so when I left law school, you know, I didn't, and this is particularly important for girls, I think, in the culture. When I left law school, I wasn't this, you know, really absurd, like sort of obedient, you know, the smart one who's in law school and, you know, the pride of the parents and they could always count on, okay, well, this is the, this is the child we're gonna really platform and this is the child that reflects who we are and our success as immigrant parents is in this child who is now in law school and it's a big deal, I mean, it's a doctor, lawyer, engineer. And so when I left that, it, there was, it was almost like poking a bear, except instead of one bear, you're poking a lot of bears and they're really pissed off. And you had to be, you had to be really careful. And for me that meant, you know, and I think you were obviously too young to really, maybe, I mean, of course you saw it, but I don't think you remember it, you know, as, as you would as an adult. For me that meant, there were a lot of security concerns. Mm -hmm. um, there were security concerns from uh, particularly men in my family. And it devastated a lot of relationships. You know, it, it, it definitely impacted, in addition to what we talk about in terms of, you know, your financial stability and your support system and blah, 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 and your career path is completely blown to shreds because now you're into this other thing and there's no, there's no social media in the way that we have it now. There's no dialogue in the way that we have it now. But on top of it, it really devastated my relationships with future partners because it completely pulled the rug out of every male relationship that I thought was successful right. in the family. Ruined it. Just completely ruined it. So, you know, you have to be so careful with who you're around because you think you know people until you challenge what they believe in. Yeah, it's a very strong part of who they are, you know. I mean, <clears throat> just religion in general is just an absolute, it's a faith unsupported by evidence, this is a Richard Dawkins quote, um, is a lethal weapon. And it is an incredibly strong part of who people are. And if you go against that or if you challenge that, some people might find that incredibly threatening. So if that is definitely why I would advise to some people that <clears throat> staying in the, in the quote-unquote atheist closet might be a better or a questioning closet or like you want to transfer to another religion or however 
Um, <clears throat> I think it probably is best to stay in that closet for the time being because people are just incredibly emotional and convicted, uh, not convicted, or have incredible conviction in what they believe in. Um, it's a very dangerous uh, thing to do is leave yeah. your religion, especially yeah. if you are living in especially that right now. Yeah, and and, and right I think now, things yeah. are going to get more volatile in that. And I and I want to change the idea of being in the closet because being in the closet means you're sort of cloistered off. You have no access to what else is going on. There's almost like a, a wall, a partition between you and the other world. And I would say, think of it differently. And this is just not just you because obviously you've dealt with all this and you've dealt with it brilliantly in my opinion. But to other people out there, I would say, don't think of it as just a closet. Think of it as an incubation period or the chance. And this is how I dealt with it. This is how I got through it. Is I saw it as as being sort of an observer, you know, when you're sort of, um, like when you have the Martian come in and land in, in, a, in a different place, a different planet, and you get to observe things from an outside point of view, or you get to sort of see everything as a Petri dish. And I would say, treat your experience, and this is obviously takes practice, but if you are still, quote unquote, in the closet, and you're having to sort of be private about your beliefs, is is it, it becomes really emotional because you want to say something and you can't. Yeah, absolutely. So, That's what all the time. Exactly. You want to say something and you can't. And sometimes, and a lot of times, <clears> you shouldn't. You have to really, because you haven't quite learned when to say something, how to say something. You don't know who you're dealing with because you haven't challenged these people's beliefs. So you don't know, you know, what is your mom or dad or your brother or your sister or your partner or your husband or whatever. What is that person really going to be like once you've, you know, peeled that layer? and, and mm. peel that layer by force. You don't know what people are really going to be like. You have no idea what that's going to be like. Um, so treat that experience as an incubation period to see, to really sort of observe, to, you know, so that you're still engaged, you're still thinking about things. Maybe you're even expressing it online through, a, through an alias or through some sort of anonymous channel, but you're still partaking because you're not completely shut off in the closet and you're distance from the world. You're in it, but you're in an incubation period that lets you come out stronger, more powerfully, more um, more self-possessed that when you do come out and you are able to take action and you are able to, to gain that platform or to you know voice yourself, you do it from a, a place where you're more grounded and more strengthened in who you are and what you believe in and what you've observed. I mean, generally, like when I, like last year, I kind of started out being an atheist and caring about politics, and I would, I was very aggressive, I was very emotional, I was very argumentative, I mean, I would argue with, I would argue with anybody, I argued with a lot of my family members, and it kind of, it, it didn't really turn out well most of the time, you know, I argued with people at my, like, people at school, like, about just different things, um, generally I learned that, that it was just not, it, it wasn't fruitful to just spark argument with people, and, and, you know, I enjoyed it to be honest, because I just, I'm just annoying like that, but, um, you know, I, I generally learned through that experience, through that, so through those sorts of experiences about how to, like, really act, um, with people, and how to <clears throat> talk to people rat who are irrational and both, both irrational and rational, um, how do you talk to someone who's irrational? You don't, you stay away from them, and I wouldn't, then you should, you, the, you pick your battles, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're going to go up to an incredibly irrational person and try to argue religion or politics with them don't expect them don't expect them to argue back expect them to scream back uh, I, I learned a lot of time management and I learned a lot of how to 
pick your battles. That's that's a big important thing of being someone who questions or who holds seemingly radical or um, out out there beliefs is to pick your battles. You're going to find very rational people, and you're going to find very um, out like people, um, very rational mm-hmm. people. You you just you just have to pick your battles. So yeah. you're you're only what sixteen years old. You amaze me because at 16, you have this dignity and this intellect that I, I know I didn't have at 16, and I, don't, I know I didn't have at 26, and I think I'm just beginning to get at 36. And then, so I'm really in awe of you, and, I've, and I know a lot of people are, who have had the privilege to get to know you and see you grow up and see you evolve, especially in the last year or so. So I'm really amazed at at who you're, who you're becoming, who you are already at 16 and God, like where you're going to be at, you know, where you're going to be at in another 10 years. I mean, it's just, it is a gift and it is a privilege to see. I wanted to thank you for being on this little podcast. Yeah, no, it was really, it was really interesting. Hopefully I get to have you on again because, you know, Zeeshan and I have these amazing conversations, especially when you first became an ex-Muslim, we had this, we had this battle of, uh, this intellectual battle of what atheism was and yeah. you know it, it was just it was fascinating and I, and I think it benefits people to see how you're able to navigate this at 16 and how you and I are able to have this conversation and you know and you haven't been excommunicated from the family or you haven't you know you're still welcomed and you still welcome me as a person of faith and and I think if we can platform that set that example you know people can learn from your experience and and if we can sort of really push that out there more. It helps battle the sort of uh, unraveling of society that we see when it comes to discourse and the ability to have calm, civil conversations. Absolutely, yeah. Um, thank, thank you, Jareen. It was really, it was a really interesting you know, time. Okay, we'll do this again soon. Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah.